just gonna stare at each other. That's the whole episode. Yep. <laughs> I was waiting for you to do the introduction. No, it's your job. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Welcome to the next episode of the Shared Pages Podcast, where we pick a book each month. We alternate between me, Ronnie, and me, Ian. And this month, our book was Fairy Tale by Stephen King. The good old boy. One of uh, Ian's favorites. Would you say your favorite living author, or? Uh, I don't know. That's close. I really <laughs> okay. like King. I like Steve Father. Uh-huh. Um, I like Murakami. Uh-huh. Those are all, like, three fighting for number one at any given time. And I think it depends on my mood. Like, if I want, like, waxing philosophical with intense plot, it's King. If I want characterization, it's Steve Vaughn, and if I want philosophy, it's Murakami. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we read that. We read yeah. Fairy Tale by Stephen King, which is one of his new books. It's, it just came out pretty recently, it's right? It's his newest book. You, I think you had it You had it for a couple months. No, right you before? bought it. When, because remember, You're right. I, I wanted to it. read it, and I just hadn't bought it. And then I saw Del Toro say he really liked it. And I was just like, all right, I got to read And I this. was on a kick of ordering every single romance novel ever written. So I just yeah. asked what you wanted and you added that yeah. to the list. I remember now. But we did pick it and it's, we forgot that like Thanksgiving month is chaos. And it's 600 pages long. So we both were like <laughs> powering through it towards the end. You know, I didn't feel like I did as bad of a job though. Like I had already written... R- written? Yeah, read. I wrote this dead book. <laughs> I had already read most of it, but by like this weekend, yeah. right? Like it was mostly done. I just needed to get through the end part of it. And I do have to say, even though it was really long, I did feel like it was a quick read. Yeah, I never felt like I was forcing myself to read it. Right. Like it did take me a few <laughs> hours today to finish the the end of it. I think I had about 150 pages, but like. It didn't feel long as I was yeah. reading it because of the way that it's written, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we read that. So first things first, I will just say uh, I do like the design of the cover. So. Oh, yeah. After you read the book, it makes more sense. Yeah, because it's like a stairway going down, which is how the main character, Charlie, gets to the other world in this book. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um <laughs> But I kind of think it looks like a dragon eye. That's what I thought it was at first. And I thought that was a really cool... I'm sure it was intentionally designed to look like a dragon eye, so I don't think that's just me seeing that. There's also a book, The Eye of the Dragon, or The Talisman of the Dragon, something like that. I think it's Talisman of the Dragon, because I think that's one that they were going to make a TV show out of or or something, like Netflix, maybe. Um, But yeah, so I really like the design of this one. The Eyes of the Dragon by Stephen King. Oh, you're right. It's just as a talisman as the other one. And you know, part of me, uh, that being said, part of the reason, like, I ultimately, I will not say which way I leaned, like, if I thought the book was good or bad yet. But I do think that just knowing that Stephen King has this multiverse and that it could, maybe it's related to the Eyes of the Dragon and that's why it has a cover that kind of looks like a dragon. I don't know. I've never read that one, you know? Um, Kind of did feel like maybe that would make that book a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Knowing that it might be connected in some way. Like, there might be some little spoiler alert that we missed, you know, connecting it. Um, But you don't have to read the other books to enjoy that one. I certainly haven't. I've only read two Stephen King books besides this. 
which was the stand in it, also huge tomes yeah. by him. I've never read a short book by him, so I'm keeping that trend going, I guess. Um, all right. Yeah, so the book is told, and it's, it's weird to me that this book only has one POV in it. Usually there's a lot of characters that get different mm. aspects of Stephen King stories, but it's from this boy named Charlie Reed. He's like a contemporary teenager. I think the book takes place in 2020. I think it's a, yeah, I think it, no, I think it was like 2000 to 2002 or something. He put the date at the la- on the last page of the yeah. book. I think it was like t- 2001 to 2002 or something like that. I don't know. It was like early 2000s. Yeah. Um, Basically and, when I was a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> As a child, Charlie's mother is walking across a bridge. He gets killed by a truck accident sliding on some black ice, which sends his dad down a spiral of alcoholism. Um... And eventually, like, there's a lot that happens in between it. Like, the first 200 pages are just, like, a normal kid's life with some tragedy. Yeah, it's so interesting. So the beginning of the book starts with you're essentially getting, like, the character background, which you don't... Usually, when you are reading a book, right, it would start at, like, the high action part. So, like, for example, maybe this one would be Charlie going into the other world or whatever. But this one does, like, the entire character background, which you would, I feel like you would normally learn piecemeal throughout the story, like, through his memories or something like that. Um, But instead, King does, like, 150 to 200 pages where it's just, like, talking about Charlie growing up. Mm. And, you know, like you said, his mom dies, his dad, like, becomes an alcoholic because of it. Charlie, I think he said he's, like, 14 or something, and he's like, I can't deal with this anymore. So he, like, says a prayer to a higher being, and he's like, if you, like, make my dad not a alcoholic, I'll, like, I'll I'll straighten up, I'll become a great kid, like, something like that. Um, and then his dad starts going to AA yeah. with the sponsor. And and I mean, like, his dad recovers. Like, they, they basically, like, they go through it, and Charlie's always worrying that his dad is going to relapse. But his dad never does. And I do have to say, while, uh, again, I'm only going off of two Stephen King books I've read, so if there's any avid Stephen King fans that are listening to this and they're just like, you know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. You're right. I don't know what I'm talking about in relation to King. But I feel like he doesn't shy away from writing, like, uh, like gross descriptions of things. Like, he talks about, like, cleaning up his dad's puke. And, like, then later on, when Mr. Bowditch, another character, he talks about, like, cleaning up his, like, poop because he's, like, injured and he can't do it himself kind of thing. But I feel like it doesn't have any of the... Like, there's bad characters, but you don't really see them doing as bad of things as you would see in other Stephen King books, like, where it would describe stuff like that. Well, and that's what I found so interesting, is usually, in most King books, there's at least chapters from the villain's point of view. Yeah, like, I think that if if this was a more uh, run-of-the-mill, I guess, Stephen King book, like, we would have gotten a point of view from... The main big bad, or at least from, like, Peterkin or Chris Polly, who's, like, a minor bad guy that Charlie encounters before he goes to the other world. And it was interesting, because we did not get any of those points of views, and I feel like that's where I usually, as a reader, 
from those other two books that I've read again, you kind of get the more twisted kind of yeah. descriptions. Because, well, like, well, like Chris Polly, you know, Chris Polly tries to rob the main character. And you could get a POV from him that's like, I just got out of jail. My family won't take me in. I have no money. I've been living outside. It's getting cold. I have to rob this kid or I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And you can make him, like, relatable. And also hateable at the same time. But instead, he's just, like, a, a guy who shows up. He's a guy. Yeah. And then the same with uh, Peterkin. I think Peterkin the dwarf would have been an interesting one to get a perspective of. Because, like, the first time you see him, he's, like, torturing a cricket. Uh, cricket. And so, like, I feel like I just am imagining Stephen King writing some really fucked up shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, that character. Um, um, but anyway, I feel like I'm getting off track yeah. here, so. But his dad never relapses. And his dad's actually a great guy. Yeah, you know, he's just going through some he's really a great depressing dad. time. And, like, even though he was alcoholic, he never, like, hit Charlie or, like, I mean, he neglected him. Yeah. He, but, like, you know, he never, like, swore at him or, like, got yeah. angry at him. He just was kind of sad. Well, like, stereotypically, they'd be like, you remind me of your mother. Right. Like, yeah. none of that happened. He was just kind of sad. And then he got better. Yeah. And Charlie was like, yo, okay, I love you, Dad. This is great. I'm going to become a great kid, like I said yeah. I would. Um, and he becomes like a star athlete, top grades. He's, yeah, you know he's a stand-up kid. Blah blah blah. Um, but he eventually actually leaves sports because the gym teacher is a jerk. Yes. Um, but in the same town is a like a hermit. Uh, well, almost a Boo Radley figure. Yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. And the beginning, the first two hundred pages of this book felt like reading To Kill a Mockingbird, mm. where the plot was just entirely like small town living. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this guy, everyone's scared of him. He has a big dog. It's gotten older. Um, no one's really talked to him in a while. And one day, Charlie's walking home, and he hears, um, is it Henry? Harry? No, Howard. Howard. Bowditch. Howard Bowditch calling out for help. So he goes in to his backyard and finds that he's fallen off a ladder and broken his leg. Yeah, he's like eighty. I, they said they didn't know how old he was, but I think Charlie just kept describing him as looking real fucking old. Yeah. So, you know, I assumed he was like 80, 90. Um, like. But yeah, Charlie calls the ambulance, blah, blah, blah. And Mr. Bowditch is like, you can't, I can't go because no one's going to take care of my dog. And Charlie's like, I'm going to stay in your house. I won't take anything. I'll take care of everything. I'll make sure your dog's good. And he basically does that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that same time, he falls in love with Radar, the dog. The he falls character. in love with the dog, who is my, who's arguably the best character. So Radar is this elderly man's dog, and she is also elderly. Also like an elderly dog. She's also an elderly dog, and if anybody's ever had a pet, and they've had to watch her grow old, or if you've ever interacted with elderly animals, there's something that is just so sweet and so sad about it at the same yeah. time. You know, like... Um, and so Charlie, like, ends up with this duty that he feels like, initially, he feels like he has to do it, because it's a way to pay back for whatever prayer he put out, where he was like, I don't want my dad to be an alcoholic anymore, so he thinks this is his way of, of kind of, like, paying back that karma, I guess. Yeah. Um, and he ends up falling in love with the dog, who, uh, is very sweet, and... In that time, he also, by by association, gets to know the owner, Mr. Yeah. Bowditch. And he's like a cantankerous old man 
But, Classic get off my lawn. Yeah. Old guy. But because Charlie's like trustworthy, he does a good job taking care of the dog. When Mr. Bodich is finally um released. released from the hospital, Charlie like stays with him and like cleans the house, like cleans his bedpan, all this crazy stuff. He like installs like the bars to help people stand up in bathrooms and stuff. Mm-hmm. So eventually Mr. Bodich puts Charlie in his will without saying that he did that. And he also has, was it, it's cancer. I, I think he has rectal cancer yeah, something or like something that. like that. Uh, he, something, I think something like that. Um, um not so that, he, it's not he, that important. He's old. He has a broken leg. Yeah. I mean, if you know already, you know, if you're old and you break a bone and you're like yeah. your hip or your leg, you're like basically done for, right? Yeah. But he actually recovers from that. Um, um, and you would think it might be the cancer that kills him, but plot twist, Charlie's at school one day, he gets a call from Mr. Bodich, and he's like, I think I'm having a heart attack. Yep. <laughs> um, so, Mr. Bodich, he passes. I feel like we're kind of, like, glossing over this area, but, but there's I feel a like- There's a lot we could I just- feel like if you're gonna read the book, like I said, this is all backstory. We haven't even gotten to, to the, the plot. story yet. This is, like, the first 200 pages. This is backstory. Yeah. Um, so he, Mr. Bowditch passes away. Yeah. Charlie gets willed the house, the dog, and he also has, knows Mr. Bowditch has all this gold yeah. that he has stashed away. And he also knows that there's this creepy shed yep. that he has heard weird sounds from before. And at one point, Mr. Bowditch ran out and shot yeah, something like, in that opens shed. opens the door, caps it, and goes, don't ask any questions. And he, yeah, and he did it. He was like... We'll, like, talk about it later or whatever, but then he has the heart attack. Yeah, but he leaves behind a tape cassette with instructions for Charlie on it. I, I'll be honest, I kind of had wished that there was more to the tape cassette. Yeah. Like, I thought we were going to get chapters of the tapes. Like, I thought uh, he would record more, or, like, maybe Charlie would, like, bring them with him and listen to them, like, as he was, like, yeah, traveling yeah. or whatever, but he that didn't happen. I don't know, I just... For some reason, the way the story was written, I thought there was going to be more to that. Um, um, but yeah, he's basically... In the table set is like, hey, in my uh, shed, there's a well. And if you walk down that well, you're going to end up in another world, like a fairy tale world, where there's a city called em- Empis? Em- uh, I think Empis is the name of the world. The world. Uh, um, the city is called Lilligant? Yeah, Lilligant. Or something. I don't think he tells him the names of anything in yeah. the recording. Uh, but he does tell him there is a city, and he gives instructions about how Charlie can get to a specific place in yeah. the city. Because in the city is a sundial that works like the carousel and something wicked this way comes, where if you go normally around it, you get older, and if you go backwards, you get younger. And Charlie's like, oh shit, my dog's really old. I gotta go get that dog to be young again. Do you feel like, uh, as a reader of Stephen King, do you feel like he references like Ray Bradbury and something oh, wicked yeah. quite frequently? There, it, I feel like it's gotta be one of his favorite books. If you <laughs> like, read um, Doctor Sleep, mm-hmm. because in Doctor Sleep, the Winnebago people are. Maybe uh, that's why I'm thinking are, of it, I saw the movie. Is the iteration of the carnival. From something wicked, but in modern times. Mm-hmm. But every chapter of them begins with a line from something wicked this way comes. Oh. Like, not like an epithet, it's like the first line. It's of like the, the line. Yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah, um, so he's a big fan yeah. of, uh, of Brad's. Yeah. Bradbury. Good old Bradbury. <laughs> Good old Bradbury. Um, 
But yeah, so Charlie, basically his dad goes away to a retreat. Charlie ducks out of school early, packs a bag, and takes Mr. Bodish's gun and Radar, the dog, and is like, I'm going to go to the other world and I'm going to de-age my dog. Yes, yes. Um, and so they, he makes this whole plan where he, like, comes up with this lie that he's, like, going to Chicago to look for, like, a miracle dog treatment or something, because everybody knows that he's in love with Radar, and she's sick, and he doesn't want her to die, and then he is like, sorry, Dad, you're probably gonna think I died, and after Mom died, this is probably gonna break your heart, but I gotta go. Yeah. And also, I, I like how he was like, also, I was like a 17-year-old boy, and I was like, I want to have an adventure. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it wasn't all just like, I want to- Yeah, it wasn't all altruistic, he also was just curious and wanted to do it. Yeah. Um. So he goes to this other world. Yeah. Well, okay, we, we mentioned Polly, so we should talk about Polly. Basically, there's a lot of gold Mr. Bodish got from this other world. This homeless man, after he dies, tries to rob Charlie of his gold. And Charlie basically destroys him emotionally and physically. <laughs> yeah, he does. I mean, like I said, Charlie is a star athlete. I yeah. think he's like, he mentions he's like six foot three or something. Yeah. And he's like 240 pounds, like a peak football, teen football player yeah. kind of vibe. And so like this homeless guy... Who's like super scrawny and like not athletic at all? Basically tries to rob him, and Charlie just like messes him up and breaks both of his wrists, yeah. and then and then sends him away with like a few gold pellets <laughs> and is like, "Don't come back yeah. here." <laughs> so yeah, but then after all that, he goes to the other world, and it's funny because I I feel like a lot of times he's writing like an internal monologue where he's like I wasn't a good kid cuz I like did that. Yeah. But like I never felt like Charlie wasn't a good kid yeah. cuz like that guy was literally going to murder him. Yep. And Charlie still like let him go at least, you mm -hmm. know. Um uh, but yeah, you know, he walks down this crazy well, ends up in another world. Um and the first person he encounters is Dora. Yep. Right. And Dora I don't remember which one is she. She's the shoemaker. The shoemaker, yeah. Yeah. And he basically stays there the first night, and Dora just kind of roughly acclimates him to this world. And what he, he what he notices about Dora, and then he will also notice about the other people of this world, is they all are afflicted with this curse. Yeah. Where it makes their skin look. Gray, right. and I think they described it as, like, when you draw with charcoal, and then you, like, rub your hand over it, and it looks like it's smearing. Mm -hmm. Um, and they all kind of have that look to them, so, like, she, her face is, like, messed up to the point where she, like, can't speak properly, yeah. and she, her eyes are kind of, like, pulled, uh, to the side, so she can't really, like, see as well. Um, but Dora is, like, the iconic fairy tale shoemaker. Yeah. Where she is essentially running a business where she fixes old shoes that people give her and she gives them a token and then they go up the line and receive a new pair of shoes from her brother. brother. Um, and um, this point of the story is a lot of exposition and also like the part of a fairy tale where they're like, I met a person here, this event happened, and then I walked. And then yeah. I encountered another person and this happened. But in much more detail. Um, so first he spends the night at Dora's. Yeah. And Dora knows, he finds out that Dora knew 
um, Mr. Bowditch, whose real name is actually Adrian, and he's old as hell. Yeah, because Mr. Bowditch used the sundial on himself yeah, in the past. To de-age himself. To de-age himself, which is how he knew what it did. So he was, like, around for World War One. And then yeah, yeah. Was, it was like only just now looking 80-ish. Yeah, it was interesting because he said when he talked on the recorder about his past, he was essentially there before the town was where he built. lived was even built. Yeah. And like he'd lived through it getting built and all of that. Um, Does Dora really say anything else important? Because the next person he meets is the swan. I, I think she just sends him to the goose girl. Yeah, or the goose girl. Yeah, yeah she sends him to the goose girl. So, yeah, he walks along, and basically he has to find a place to stay each night, because there's wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, so he walks until he meets the goose girl, um, who has no mouth. But yes. she can throw her voice, which makes it look like her horse is talking, and stuff like that. And she, while everybody else looks gray and messed up, she looks beautiful, she just doesn't have a mouth. Yeah. So, um... So he talks to her and finds out that her name is Leah. Leia? Is Leia. Yeah. Or, well, it's spelled Leah, yeah. but he said that he thought she said Leia because like of the Princess way it was pronounced. Yeah. Um, and she, I don't think she tells him, but he has this sense that she was nobility because yeah. she has like this air about her. And she kind of gives him a little more information about the city and then tells him to go farther down and talk to uh, Woody. I don't remember Woody, his that's full his name. name. I could never remember his name. I just remember Woody because it's like the Woody from Toy Story, yeah. which I think Charlie says that too. But, I mean, like, even with Woody, like, Woody is the brother, the shoe brother. Um, But basically from all these encounters, what he learns is that in the city... There was once a ruling family whose symbol was like monarch butterflies, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and you don't see that that often. It, butterflies. Yeah. And at some point, they were overthrown by someone named Flight. Flight Killer. Flight Killer. Which I gotta say, that name is one of the my biggest gripes about this fantasy novel because yeah. I'm like, come on, that doesn't even sound cool. Yeah. But it makes sense when they explain it later on because I guess they call the flight of the butterflies, they they call it like a flight of yeah. butterflies. So he's called the flight killer because the powers that he had allowed him to like essentially massively kill these butterflies. Yeah. So they call him the flight killer. Um but I just thought it sounded funny when they said yeah. it. I was like, yeah, come on, you can't give him a cooler name. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so there's, in the city, there's someone named Flight Killer who has overthrown the family um, that originally, like, the royal family. Also within this city is Hana, who's a giant. Her daughter, Red Molly, who's also a giant, but smaller because she's still, I don't know if she's a kid or not, but she's, like, you know, not fully grown. Um, and also the undead, which is comprised of the people who overthrew or the soldiers when who became traitors when Flight Killer attacked. Um, and in order to get to the Sundial, uh, Charlie is going to have to follow Adrian's. Signs. He's, he's like scratched his names in the things because like the city is a maze. He can't stay there overnight because that's when the undead 
soldiers wake up and will capture him. Um, and on top of all that, is somewhere in this world is a sleeping monster named Gogmagog. And for all you Welsh fairy tale lovers, Gogmagog is a giant in Welsh fairy tales. Sorry, I just wanted to note because she was one of my favorite characters. Um, <laughs> the was Claudia. Oh yeah, was one of the people that he stopped and talked to, and essentially when he first meets her, he she rolls up like the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. Uh, the beginning of Wizard of Oz, where she's on a big bike and wearing like a black dress. Um, but Claudia is one of the royals that was also cursed, but her ears are missing, so she just screams when she talks, and I was like, sounds like my family, honestly, (laughs) but, um, I just thought she was a hilarious character, because she just is always yelling, she can't hear, so. And she's, like, badass, too, like, a frontier woman, like, she, like, the wolves, she was like, oh, fuck these wolves, and she just, like, is (laughs) killing them, and anyway. Um, but yeah, so Charlie has to make it. To the sundial and back in a day, he is sent from Claudia's place to basically a shack on the side of the road where he can hole up for the night and then go in early. Um, and there he witnesses, like, the last of the monarch butterflies do this crazy, like, flight thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I don't think I've ever seen a group of butterflies take flight. I think it would be really pretty. I have, because in Wales there was a lot of Like, from the description in the book, I was like, I kind of want to see this. Yeah. I kind of want to add this to my bucket list to see. Um, but yeah, so he, he gets up early. As a, he's got radar with him, radar's getting sicker and sicker because she's old as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's like barely walking at this point. She's like coughing. Yeah, she's like having trouble breathing. Claudia has given him basically a tricycle with a carriage. a huge bike with like a little box on the back for him to carry radar in. Yeah, yeah. so he like rides up to the gate. And he says like, "Open in the name of Leah of Gal- Gal- Galleon." Galleon, which is some kind of, like, family name. Yeah. Um, and he goes into the city, and he's following Adrian's, uh, like, marks. marks. That he left, yeah. And the, does he encounter Paterkin first? No, he meet. oh, is that how you say his name? I was saying Peterkin the whole time. No. <laughs> the dwarf. I'm pretty sure it's P-T-E-R. No, he meets, he meets him on the way to Woody's house, I think. Right, right. Okay, so we skip that. But that's, he meets the dwarf that's torturing the red cricket, cricket. and then he, like, frees the cricket, and then the dwarf, and then lets the dwarf go. Yeah, and Paterkin's like, I'm gonna get you back. And I was like, well, this guy's definitely fucking coming back, yeah. because he seems annoying AF, so, so. Yeah, but basically, as he's traveling through the city, he just kind of, like, is like, Man, this place reminds me of, like, the Lovecraftian stories, because, like, there's nothing here, but there's, like, a wrongness about it. Yeah, like, he, when he is not looking directly at the buildings, it feels like they're moving, or, like, breathing, or, like, he can notice this, like, black, uh... Like, tendril Tendril-type mist that seems to be moving through some of the glass of the buildings. And then, okay, so what's the first thing that happens in this thing? Does he just find Hana? Uh, I think, yeah, mostly he's just going through the maze. Following Adrian's Following Adrian's signs. He comes across Hana, but he knows from directions from Claudia. That she, like, sits in her throne, (laughs) and then eventually, um, when it's lunchtime, she will walk into the, where, like, the food hall, and he'll be able to go through and go, like, the other direction to get to the sundial. Yeah. So he just, like, 
Listens he waits. Hana sing a horny song. Yeah, she sings a song and about she getting boinked, I think. Yeah. Then you know what? She, she does fart. And she you know farts what? like three times. There was a lot of farting in this book. I was like, every time somebody went to sleep, there he was like, and there was farting. And I was like, okay, we get it. People <laughs> fart, Steven. Why? Why are you telling us about this so much? I, this is a fantasy novel. I don't want to know about people farting. <laughs> so. Um. But yeah, so he, he goes through that. Um. And what? Like, Sorry, I distracted you. He gets past Hana. Yeah. He finds the mermaid. Oh yeah, that, he sees the mermaid where this mermaid's been like stabbed in the water, and the spear is like still in her remains, mm-hmm. and her like guts are floating around. Yep. And he could he could tell like she was. At, it, it's weird because Charlie seems to have like this. I don't know if I would call it a sixth sense, but he has like a sense of like. When people are inherently good, yeah. and when people are inherently bad, he has a touch of the shining. Because oh, you know what? I didn't even think of that. He probably does because, like, even before, like in his world, he had that ability to do that. Yeah, and then like he came to the other world, and even though like Dora, the first person he met, was like super disfigured, he was like, I just know that, that she's good. Yeah, yeah, like even though she looked horrific. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um. But yeah, he he sees, you know, he's like, oh, this is, like, really depressing. Um, if I could, like, help these people, I would. But first, I gotta help Radar. Um, and he's biking on. Basically, he eventually gets to the sundial. Yeah, he gets to the sundial. And the issue with the sundial is that he can't tell which way is forward and which way is back. But Radar is essentially, like, breathing her last breaths at this time. And I think he says that uh, he sees a sign from Mr. Bowditch that an arrow is pointing a specific way yeah. near the dial. Mm. So he's like, I think I have to Get move that way, I hope. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he puts the radar on it, he starts spinning, but it's so hard, it hasn't been used in so long, he basically breaks his back to get the move. But once like it's. Like this boy, lo- you don't understand, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> you don't understand how much this boy loves this dog. If only. If only we could all feel such a connection. Yeah. He would do anything for this dog, okay? But he essentially gets it moving, and once it starts moving, it's easier. And he gives her six spins, and as she spins, he sees her go from, like, an old, skinny dog. Like, she starts to gain weight, she gets healthier and healthier and healthier. Her, her white fur becomes, like, dark and luscious yeah. again, and, and yeah. she gets healthy. Um, It works! Yeah, it worked. And this is where, like, the real plot starts, I would say. Yeah, it worked. And so now he's, like, he knows there's, like, a treasury with gold somewhere, but he's, like, fuck that. I gotta get out of of here. Well, because if you look at, like, fairy tale narrative, there's always a reason for a crossing into the fairy tale world, and the reason is Radar. Yes. And he's now achieved that. Yes. And he's trying to go back. Yeah. But as he goes back, he... He beats Paterkin after he gets around Hana again. Yes, right? he gets he gets around Hana again, yeah. but then he realizes one of the symbols telling him where he needs to go next is missing. Yeah. And, and he doesn't know how to how to go back to the exit. Yeah, and then he basically eventually stumbles upon the dwarf that was yeah. bothering the cricket. The and the dwarf's dwarf is like, like, fuck you, I raced the mark. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you guys can't see, but I'm, like, doing yeah. the double bird. But he's essentially like, fuck you, I got rid of your symbols. And Charlie's <laughs> like, well, I've got a fucking great, what, she's not a great name, what is she? Uh, she's a German shepherd. <clears throat> a German shepherd in her prime, go get him. Yeah, she, he's like, he's like, radar, get, or something. <laughs> and she, like, rips out uh, the seat of his pants. Yeah, but Paterkin gets away, and Charlie is 
panicking. He's like, you know, I've this dog trusts me. She's having an adventure. And I don't know how to get out of here. So they wander around for a while until they eventually get back to the gate. Yeah, but then just as... But before they make it to the gate, night falls, and everybody up to this point has told him to get out of the city before nighttime. Yeah. Because then something called the Night night Guard comes out, uh, which has been, been hinted up at this point that they are, like, undead of some kind. Yeah, so they're the undead, like I said earlier, of the people who were traitors when Flight Killer usurped the throne. Um, and so he almost makes it to the gate. He gets it open with the passcode, and he tells Radar to run through because he knows he's not going to be able to outrun the night guard well, that are chasing them. he is like, I can get through, probably, but then the freaking Kellyan, Kellyan, the head of the night guard, has, like, a motorcycle. Yeah, he has, like, a motorcycle or something. I don't really know. They called it a bus, but yeah. I was, like, I was imagining, honestly, this is kind of funny, like, a golf rider. cart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was imagining it with, like, a high-powered <laughs> golf cart, like, Yeah, but, like, so just as he thinks he's gonna get out, this ghost on a fucking car drives up and is, like, your mind, and like because he's like undead when he gets touched, it like saps the life out of him. Yeah, they have this like weird undead aura. Yeah, so, so. Radar gets away. Charlie goes to jail. It's like Monopoly. Um, <laughs> Charlie goes to jail. That's the space of the book. He wakes up in deep Malian. Mel- Melian? Yeah. I don't really know how like, to it's say. It's a dungeon, super deep underground, and there's like a bunch of other people there, and they're all called whole ones because the gray doesn't affect them. Yeah, so there's some people that the curse does not affect, and it's not clear specifically why that is, but it is hinted that the people that aren't affected by it are somehow related to the royal line, but are not the royal line. Yeah. So they were, like, kids that were had from a tryst or a out-of-wedlock affair, something like that. Mm. Um, although this is never substantiated in any way yeah. to show that that is really why. But what they're basically there for is that the night guard has to get 32 of these people. So Flight Killer can have a blood sport tournament where they murder each other in like a round robin style. Yeah. Um, so they're like forced to work out. They get like half cooked food for dinner. People are sick. It's going I was bad. like, okay, half cooked, like rare steak. Okay, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But the good. sausage? The sausage, the chicken. Yeah. When they gave, like, the half-cooked chicken, I was like, ugh, I feel like I would... I mean, if I was starving, I'd eat it, but I'd yeah. be like, I don't know about this. But basically, Charlie here... Like, this is his, like, metamorphosis. Yeah, he, like, wins the respect of these people despite having to compete with them. And I think that this part is also Charlie personally experiencing the cruelty of the people currently in power. Yeah. So this is his way to, like, if he had gotten out with Radar, I don't know if he would have helped. Like, he might have. But, like, I think this was his way of becoming personally invested in what was happening here. Like, he might have been like, I want to help these people, but, like, I'm not going to risk my life. But then he gets sent to prison. He is, like, beaten, forced to do these, like, uh, torture games with yeah. these people. He sees the others. His roommate is uh, suffering from some it's sort like, of... Bowel issue. I, I don't know if he has, like, a tapeworm or something, but he's, like, fucked up. And then they they do this tournament, and they are forced to kill each other. Yeah. And so, like, Charlie's just seeing all the cruelties, because there is so, other people that are watching. Yeah. So the tournament. Charlie is the 31st. They need 32. Eventually the 32nd shows up. And they go through one round of the tournament where he's, 
each person is forced to kill another one. So they're down to 16. Charlie kills someone. Yeah, Charlie, um, and this person's kind of a jerk, so. They're kind of a jerk, and but it was so weird because, like, they were, like, shit-talking him the whole time, and they were like, I'm gonna kill you, boy, like, yeah. the whole time. But then, right before Charlie kills him, he's like, my prince, and then Charlie kills him. I yeah. was like, wait, did he think he was the prince all along? Was yeah. he shit-talking him just to, like, make him feel less bad about killing him? Or yeah. was he actually a dick and then just scared at the end? I don't know. Because as he's interacting with his people, he slowly finds out that there's, like, a prophecy of a blonde prince that's gonna come and save everyone. He happens to be blonde and have blue eyes. Well, he he wasn't when he first got there. Yeah. That's, like, a big thing, is when Charlie... Charlie has brown hair and blue uh, or brown eyes. Yeah. Brown hair, brown eyes. But as he spends more time in his other world, his hair changes to blonde mm-hmm. and his eyes change to blue. And they start calling him my prince. And it's never really explained why this happens. Yeah, I assumed it was some sort of like, I don't know, because at the end when his he starts to revert back to himself, right? Yeah. He says like he could feel the Bowroad borrowed power leaving him and I was wondering if it was somehow like whatever prayer he had sent up when he was young to help Mm. his dad right if that entity like reached out to him it was like save the people of this world and then that like I'll give you the power to do that and then you're like that will be repaid or something you know something like that oh my gosh Luna hold on Luna wants to be a part of this alright never mind she's leaving um but Basically, there's some there's some people who are forced to work for these undead that are humans that aren't in the competition, and one of them is one with a small mouth named Percival. <laughs> Pervy. Um, who is like, hey, I know a secret passage out. Yeah. And they come up with this jailbreak scheme where they're like, okay, the undead have auras on them, let's just chuck some water on them and see what happens. Yeah, because their auras are described as being like what, it, like how it feels when you get like an, a static shock or like an electric shock. <laughs> and uh, honestly, my first thought when I heard that was like, oh, just throw, just throw them in a pool. Like, what are yeah. they going to do? Like, they're just going to like uh, short circuit, which is essentially what happens. They throw buckets of water on them and then they like explode. Um, yeah. So yeah, they um, make they make their escape. Yeah, they kill they kill like ten of the twenty five night guard. They escape. They get outside. Um, at the same time, the cricket that Charlie saved shows up. Um, and he, uh, I, what he's was like he called? the I forgot what he was the, called. The sumped or something like that. Something yeah, it's like the stooped, the yeah. stump. Something. And he's like the king of small creatures or yeah, something. Yeah, and I was like, what the hell? And, like, apparently you can only hear him talk if you're, like, calm and, like, open your mind to it. Cleared your mind, yeah. Um, But this cricket's like, I'm gonna help you get out. Um, And the cricket, uh, so, but, like, you know, along with the cricket helping, they break out. And they sneak out, and as they sneak out, they get back to the surface. It's still nighttime, like, going, verging on morning. Uh Uh-huh. And they encounter Red Molly, who is Hannah's daughter. Yeah. And she's like, I'm gonna kill you. And he's like, bitch, I got a gun. And shoots her like five times. Yeah, he goes to where he had left his backpack earlier and he gets a gun and yeah. kills her. Um, kills um, her. And then Hannah's like, you killed my daughter, but they're escaping at that time. Mm-hmm. And they're about to be caught, but then Claudia and Entourage show up, break them out, or help break them out. They close the gates behind them and get away for now. 
And yes. there's like a lot of stuff that happens in between that, but I'm just doing a brief overview because we can get we don't real have time. lost in this. Yeah, we don't have time. Um, but yeah, so they're they're good. Basically, they're out. Mm-hmm. But then they start to realize that like if they're going to retake the city, now's the time because they've killed a lot of the guards. Everything's kind of in chaos. Hot, or Red Molly's dead, so that's a lot of like their firepower gone. And at this time, it's revealed that Leah the Goose Girl or Leia the Goose Girl is also, like, the last surviving heir. To the throne, yeah. yeah. Um, and she's in denial, because Flight Killer happens to be... They were the youngest of the monarch's children, and she and Flight Killer um, is her brother, who mm-hmm. went Elden. real bad. Yeah, Elden is his real name. Um, and he... I thought it was interesting, their relationship, because, like, she was apparently picked on by all of her siblings because she was so beautiful mm-hmm. that her parents favored her, so that made her her siblings jealous. But then Eldin, her brother, who becomes the main villain in the story, he was born, like, so ugly, like, he was described as having a hunchback and club foot and, yeah. like, a weird lumps and- on his face, that his siblings made fun of him and, like tortured him, kind of. Not, like, flat-out torture, but, like, maybe beat him up, it seemed like the other brother did, because he was so ugly. So they both bonded for being, like, outcasts, but they were outcasts for very different reasons. This is my biggest issue with this book. I I tend to not like body horror in general, but this book seems to be using disfigured people as, like, a scapegoat for being monstrous. Mm. Um. Um. I yeah. I guess I could see that. Although I would argue that like the gray people are also pretty monstrous, but they are all mostly good, except for like they all kind of turn back to normal people once the curse is lifted. Yeah. So. Um. Like it's not that they're all treated as if they're monsters, but it's like implied that they would be better if they looked normal. Mm. Um, than if, like, you know, they're just people who look different. Yeah, and, I mean, on that point, there, I was trying to think, I don't think there is a character that's, like, described as ugly that stays ugly that ends up helping them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, Hana or Red, or Red, what's her name? Molly? Red Molly, yeah. <laughs> don't, like, none of them, like, uh, Peterkin was also described as ugly, the dwarf that betrays him, and they all, like, None of them are are ever redeemed, and they're all ugly. But um, I guess, you know what? He might have done that intentionally, because historically in fairy tales, that's how it is. Yeah. Is, like, the ugly people are always the villains. Yeah, I mean, like... I mean, you could always do a modern twist on it and have them. It's the, the classic case, fairy tale thing of, like, help animals because they're going to come back and save you later and stuff. Yeah. But, so they, they come up with this plan. Um, They're going to be led by Leah to break into the city... And basically, there's two moons in this world, an eclipse is happening, um, and it's like more than an eclipse, like the moons are going to collide. Also, I was having trouble understanding their planet's rotation, because the moons pass by three times a night. Yeah. That's crazy. You know how fast that would have to be spinning? Well, it could just be a very small planet. Uh, Well, wouldn't that, like... Well, okay, yeah. Well, I was like, wouldn't that like flatten Charlie when he walked into it? Because like the gravitational is, pull would be so this much is stronger. <laughs> actually, like the plot of the three body. Anyway, problem. it's fantasy world, so yeah. it doesn't matter. But, but no, there's there's real math for the three body problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, and so this moon is going, these moons are going to collide, and when they collide, um, a portal. Light Killer is going to be able to open the portal at the center of, like, the world. For the Eldritch Beast. To free Gog Magog. Which, my guess is that that well is an entrance to Todash space, which is where, like, Pennywise, it's an entirely dark world filled with monsters. And when monsters come from that in Stephen King universes, they're usually not, like, not only are they, like, problems, but they're also not killable. They just kind of, like, hang around forever. Yeah, I was wondering, when they described that monster, had you ever read in any other Stephen King novel something described to look like that? Um, yeah, The Mist, and then there's a story, I think it's called N, where this, like, farmer just, like, it's a short story, he, like, is, like, plowing his field with, like, a brick in the way, like, a big stone, and he pulls it out, and it's just, like, a hole in reality, and, like, stuff starts coming out of the reality, and they're, like, oh, like, like, stereotypical Lovecraftian eye monsters. Okay. Yeah, because I was wondering, because I was like, if there was any crossover with other books, I feel like it would have been that thing? There, that thing's not mentioned in other books. The only... There's very few, I think, things that could cross over. One of them is, like, Charlie could kind of be construed as a guns- gunslinger because he has a forty-five. That's what I thought, um, yeah. And then, at one point, they say the wheel turns, and the gunslingers always say Ka, which is, like, fate. Ka is a wheel, and then it, like, crushes you. Mm. Um, or, like, rolls and crushes you. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, very little connection to any other Stephen King in this. Like, okay. that's outright noticeable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, uh, they're like, we gotta break in. We're gonna take out Hana, who's left. We're gonna take out King, um, or Flight Killer. We're gonna take out Kellyan, the undead king. And then we're gonna go stop um, this Gog Magog from Rising. Rising, yeah. Um, and basically it doesn't, you know, they, they walk a lot, and as they're walking, it gets into this very, like, Lovecraftian, like, antediluvian chambers under the earth. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, they, so they go underground, or first they run into Hana, and Hana's like, you killed my baby, and he's like, well, once again, I have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was the, I was like, what would they do if Charlie, like, didn't bring those guns with him? Yeah. They'd just be fucked, right? Because yeah. those two giants would just, like, mess him up. Yeah. But- <laughs> Charlie shoots her a bunch of times. She dies. Uh-huh. Um, they take a long path to go underground. Like, they walk through the city. Eventually, Leia, Leia leads them to this underground passage. Um, and they start going underground. They basically just keep going underground. Um, who's next? Is it Kellyan who's next? Yeah, they go to Kellyan in the, the towers. Mm. They go find him in the towers, and they kill him. Well, technically, the cricket kills him by summoning a bunch of grass. Yeah. And then they're all like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, and they lose some people along the way, but it's still going okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, the next... Am I missing someone? They saved Percy. They saved Percy. Um, and then they're like, all right, final step. We got to get to, like, the hole in the world. Mm-hmm. So they take, they walk down a lot, a lot of stairs. But eventually they get there and they see, like, the litter bearer and four people who carried Elden down there, or White Slayer. Uh-huh. Um, and at the, and basically those people are like, we're done. Because, like, as you're approaching Gog Magog, he's, like, radiating fear as, like, a... And the sound they describe everybody hearing, I imagine it's, like, you know, if you were standing next to, like, a plane jet engine and you just (laughs) 
heard it like right in your ears. Well, because they described it as like a loud A, like it's just an uppercase A. So I imagined it as if like it was one, like if someone was going insane and they just let out one long scream that never ended forever. Like it was, it's like the sound of madness or something. Mm. Um, so the, the his his litter bear people flee, and he has approached this other well, which is kind of cool that there is a well leading into this world and then a well leading out of this world. Yeah, it was like, how many of these wells are there? Does this well, keep going? So this is wells what I was, all the way down. What I was thinking about is um in the dark tower in um castle. What the hell is it called? I can't help Castle either. Discordia. Oh. There's a Sounds trap like a door that leads to Toadash <laughs> space in there. Oh. And I was wondering if this is like that. Castle Discordia is like evil incarnate though. Oh. Um, like, well, I still stand by. I think it's a cool club name. Um, But uh, in... So I was wondering if like... Because in, in the Dark Tower, this is one of the things I actually missed. One of the cities has a trolley in it. And, like, this city also has a trolley in it, and it seems to have a mixture of technology. Yeah. And I was wondering if this city was the city in the Dark Tower, but, like, a billion years before. Mm. Because in the Dark Tower, it's, like, long. Destroyed, yeah. yeah. like it's like, it's, like, ancient ruins. Yeah. Um. Maybe Gog Magog woke up at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so they go, you know, Elden is walking up, and he's about to do his thing, and the moons collide. Um. And Leah takes her dagger and cuts her mouth open. Um, which is, like, honestly the most gruesome part of the book. To be honest, I, was like, I just, thought damn. it was pretty badass. Yeah, I was though. like, damn. Also, I was like, why didn't she just do that before? But maybe she couldn't. Maybe, like, the curse didn't let her do it until that point I or something. I think it would just take an obscene amount of willpower. But, like, if she, she was, like, literally starving. Because yeah. she could only eat through that tiny hole. And she was, like, drink, living off of, like... What I imagined is like jello. Yeah. Essentially. But so she cuts her mouth open and she's like, brother, don't do it. And he, her brother's got like shadow tentacles coming out of him and shit. Yeah, he's like a he's like an octopus man at that like point. Like an octopus man with like a cocoon like belly. Like Ursula. Yeah. But like, I imagined, like more tentacles. I imagined him like if he had gotten Gog Magog, I imagine him like being like a chrysalis bursting and letting evil out, mm. like some kind of weird like bizarro butterfly. Yeah, it seemed like his skin, the way it was described, was like kind of just like over him. Yeah, like a costume, and underneath was just like all these writhing snakes and tentacles. Yeah, so um, and pretty gross. He's like, it's too late for me. Like I can't unhear this being, but you should run away. And she's like, nah. <laughs> And then he tries to kill her, and then Charlie tries to stop him, and then he tries to kill Charlie. So anyway, Leia, Leia ends up killing her, her brother, brother, and... Gog Magog starts creeping out of the well. He's like, hey, not. He's yeah. like, what, that gif of the person opening the door and being like, yeah, <laughs> And he's in. like, nothing can stop me. And Charlie's like, wait, I know the Rumpelstiltskin myth. If I know your name, I can control you. And he's like, hey, God, my God, get the fuck back in your cage. And you said you didn't like this aspect, right? But no. up through the book, there had been allusions, would that be the right term? Yeah. To the Rumpelstiltskin story, like, sprinkled throughout. Just, like, what you could call coincidences, but, like, they were happening so frequently you couldn't really call it a coincidence. So at the end, Charlie's like, okay, so how did they get rid of Rumpelstiltskin? Well, they said, I know your name, so I have power over you. 
So Charlie ends up being like, Gog Magog, you bitch! Yeah, get back get in Get back in your hole! <laughs> so my only problem with it isn't that he does that. It's that at the very beginning, people are like, don't ever say this name out loud. I'm going to say it really quietly. Gog Magog. So no one ever said, hey, Gog Magog, don't do that. Oh, I, well, you know what? I assumed that they didn't think of doing it because they thought the name, the name has power. Yeah. But like they, so they didn't want to say his name because they were worried it was like giving him power, but maybe they didn't realize they could use it against him as well. Yeah. And I think not everybody would have been able to do that. I think only because Charlie was the chosen prince and maybe like Leia could do it because she was like of the royal bloodline. But I think if, like, Dora had tried to do it, I don't know if it would work. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like... But basically, he's like, go back in, God, God, God. you can come back in 10,000 years or 1,000 years, but not today. Because um, he's like this undying entity. And basically, they're like, all right, see ya. And then they leave. They're like, okay. Um, <laughs> they, like, make their way back to the surface. And um, he... Charlie has... How the heck does he get poison in him? He gets wounded because when they go... Oh, Petra. Yeah, there's this other female character that was essentially the concubine of Squidman. And she is, like, sharpened her teeth into points. And then her teeth are, like, poisonous because they're, like, infested with his weird squid juices yeah, or so something. She, I don't she know. bites him because they try to take her lantern. Yeah. Um, She bites him and then he gets poisoned in him. He has to be carried to the top. He's basically like, I'm not dying underground. But he has to be carried up. And then, you know, he kind of does, like, the Frodo being stabbed by the Nazgul thing You know, while. that's what I thought of, too, was the scene where Frodo's recovering in Rivendell. Yeah. Like, he essentially has a three-week period where he's, like, kind of just recovering in this beautiful fantasy city. And, like, well, all the his friends that he made along the way is, are coming to check in on him. So this is why I've been telling you to read The Dark Tower, because it reads, once you get past the first book, like, The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen King's a huge Tolkien fan. Um, but yeah, he recovers. He like sees ghosts of people who died and people who threatened him, but he gets better. And Leia comes to say goodbye to him. And something that we didn't mention, but like it's in the book, is he is like in love with Leia. Like he like sees her, and it's like love at first sight. But Leia is like, I like, I literally can't be with you. She's like, because when I look at you, I like think of how I failed my people. Because she was the ruler who was left, and she knew her brother was the main villain, but she couldn't confront him because she loved him so much. So she she's, like, ashamed, I yeah. guess, when she looks at Charlie, because he had to come from a different world to save her people, because she could not yeah. do it. Um, um, but, you know, eventually Charlie gets ready to leave. He attends, like, one party, one of the girls... Who was in Gets prison with laid. him? She's like, all right, I'm sleeping with you. Actually, what I think my favorite character might be when Hana dies. The one girl's like, "Wait, Queen, don't go ahead." And she's like, I mean, she goes and pisses on Hana's body. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the same girl. girl. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, all right. I, um, I don't know how I felt about those two because there's so there was two female prisoners, and they kind of end up going with this final party at the end. And I, I was like, I don't know how I feel ab- about them, because I kind of felt like they were just thrown in there to be, like, two more females in the party. Yeah, well... Okay. Like, they had stuff that they did, but they, like, overall, I would say were not super helpful in, like, any way. They kind of were just tagging along, yeah. you know? 
Um, and then one of them, like, broke off to, like, go escort another guy back, and, and then, like... Yeah. Um, but eventually Charlie is done, he's healed, and he goes back home, um, after, like, a, you know, like, a mildly short journey back. Yeah, he's like, I can't be with my queen, so I guess I'll go see my dad. And, and when he gets home, like, three months have passed, like, he left in October and snow's on the ground. It's February, yeah, so... Yeah, like, four months, five months. Yeah, like four or five months. Um, and he uh, goes back and his dad's like, I thought you were dead. Good news, his dad didn't start drinking out of despair again. He, like, explains everything to his dad and shows him that Radar is young again. And basically he's like, I'm going to show you this other world so you believe me. But then we're not going to go in there anymore because it could get, like, infected by our world. Like, the way we imperialize shit. Um... And they kind of bond over that, and then they essentially pour concrete over the top of it and line the well so no one can go back to that world. Yeah. Which, I I think it's an interesting ending, but also kind of unsatisfactory. It's a, it's a little unsatisfactory, it's a little but, sad. But I like the, but I think in a good way, like, it's like at the end of the Inheritance trilogy, when Aragorn is like, there's like a whole continent over there that no one's explored, I'm, gonna, mm. I'm going out there. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say, there was one thing I wanted to note... So you remember when I was reading and I like laughed out loud? Do you do you did you figure out what part I was laughing at? No, I don't remember. <laughs> There's one part where he like goes to the uh, rooms of the Lord High and he's like talking about this cult up north that like tried to pray away oh, the gray. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought that was so funny. So he says pray away the gray, which is what they yeah. call the the curse that everybody has and then Charlie's like, oh, "Wow." And he like laughs and the guy's like, "What's so funny?" And Charlie's like, "Oh, nothing." But mm-hmm. he's like thinking about the people that were saying yeah. like There's a lot of like King is a very progressive person, so his character character a lot of times is like it's like those crazy salads destroying cultural artifacts. You're like, yeah. all right, King, we get it. I know, sometimes he was like, or or what did he say? There was the one part where he was like, we can't even take care of our own climate. We, how could we expect people to like cherish this other world? Yeah. And I was like, you're right. I mean, you're right, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where it wraps up. And then like, there's like a final chapter where he's like, if it sounds like an adult wrote this, it's because I wrote this like 10 years after. Um... So it's why I've kind of got like an adult voice in this. I'm now like I went to NYU and now I work as like a, a professor, a of, professor, like a professor of folklore. Yeah, um, sounds pretty sick. Honestly, yeah. I was like, I take that class. I, I mean, I took like four or five fairy tales. I was like, I classes. I took some classes like that, so yeah. they were great. I always loved all the professors. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, overall, like for me, because I like other Stephen King books so much, in particular it and Doctor Sleep. Um, and, like, the Dead Zone. Um, this is, like, a three out of five Stephen King for me, where those ones are, like, four and a half out of five. I mean, as much as it pains me to say it, because, again, I've only read It, The Sand, and Fairy Tale. I still think It might be the best of the books that I've read by him. <laughs> this is probably second. I really didn't like The Stand, but that's just my personal I think- opinion of it. Because it did the same thing, where it took, but it took like 400 pages to get to the plot of the book, and I was like, damn, can we just start the story? I think The Stand, if you read it as a novel, is like difficult to get through. It's more fun in discussion with other people, where you start to like philosophize about people's motives and stuff, like, and what makes people do things. 
I also don't think I really liked any of the characters from that one, but I like Charlie from this one from Fairy Tale a lot. And so, and, and, and like once again, like King's books often um, are better read in context of other books, like the religious woman who leads the good people in the sand is related to the librarian boy from it. Mm. So, like, you start to see... I can't remember his name right now. Um, but you start to see all these, like, crossovers and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was good. It was good, not great for me. I think I would give it... So you just said three out of five? Yeah. I'd probably give it, like, a six out of ten. Maybe even a five out of ten. Because it was, like, just an average fantasy. It, like, I, it was not even horror, really, yeah. I would say. Like, there was, of course, some uh, eldritch horror aspects, but I didn't feel, like, scared reading it. Well, I, I think what would have turned the corner for me is if... I Like, you, it would have had to been way longer, but if there was way more um, culture. Like, mm. of this world. Because they, they mentioned other cities in this world and stuff that people don't in know passing, about. yeah. And he just doesn't have time to explore it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, too, because, you know, for fantasy books like that, I feel like they're usually a series. Yeah. So you have time to get that, but uh, he's he's like a one, one and done for most of his books. Yeah, well, King wrote this because so. he was stuck inside during COVID. <laughs> yeah. This was his code. This is what he did during COVID? Yeah. Oh, my God. More productive than me. That's um, for sure. But, yeah. Um, so coming up next for December, my birthday month. Yes, I have selected our December book. I picked a short one because I don't want the same issue we had this month where we had a lot of travel and we wouldn't have time to finish it. So we are going to read Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata, um, which is just a short, I feel like this is more of a slice of life book. Yeah, well, I heard it's a weird take on, like, an internal monologue, like, a, like almost like a neurotypical monologue. Mm. Um, I've been meaning to read this for a while. I've, like, picked it up multiple times and been like, no, I have something else to read right now. Um, but she, like, runs a store called Smile Mart, um, and she, like, understands the rules of interaction there. So it's kind of like, I, I don't really fully know about it, but it says a brilliant depiction of an unusual psyche and world hidden from view. It feels like it's going to be like a deep dive into who's at a convenience store. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but which, it, I'm sure it'll be more than that. But I'm excited to read something slightly more grounded in fairy tale. That just feels right to me right now. Mm -hmm. And it won the Aka Akutagawa Prize. Um... Which is considered, uh, because of its prestige and considerable attention the winner receives from the media, it along with the Naoki Prize, one of Japan's most, most sought after prizes. So it's supposedly very good. Um, so yeah, we'll be reading that. Um, make sure you follow along at uh, twitter.com slash sharepagespod. Um, and yeah, that's all we got. Yeah, that's all we got. Uh, happy reading. Yeah, and happy Christmas, Thanksgiving, oh, yeah. holidays, whatever you that celebrate. Too. 